Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Jeff Clossy. Hey Jay, it's good to be with you again. Yeah, it's good to be back with you. It's been a couple weeks since I got to be on the podcast. I know, we've missed you. I've missed being on it. Yeah, well now you're here. I know, this is great. Just in time. I know, just in time for this topic. Yeah. Great. I by the way puppies and rainbows puppies and rainbows us. yeah you've uh that needs to we kind of need to clear the air you uh <laughs> you feel like a couple shots have been taken at you uh and in my defense I only took the shots at you because it got a laugh and made me feel better wait that doesn't that oh. doesn't make it sound better well now that you put it that way <laughs> not, not, not well I for the record as I you know I wasn't there on Sunday I was um down in Nina still um, finishing up our weekend with my mom's stuff. And uh, I so I listened to this walking the great room. I was just pacing on Tuesday morning, moving around. And when it got to that part, I laughed. It was funny. Oh, good. It was good. So for people who aren't aware that I'm making the joke that I'm getting all the hard passages, which is so not true, but it's still fun. But this was, a, this. these are very difficult passages. Part of the thing is the Sermon on the Mount is challenging. And so every week, so, like, Christoph is preaching this week on retaliation and love your enemies. Yeah, there's that's, not a lot of fluff a, in this sermon. Not, <laughs> yeah, Jesus didn't get the memo of, like, seeker sensitivity. He uh-huh. did, definitely did not, didn't really do that. But um, he was sensitive to seekers, but not in the content realm of things. So, um, so it is not true that you only teach or preach when it's the easier passages. You have definitely handled some hard ones. So everyone can be clear on that. That So stop sending Jay all those emails about picking on me. About, yeah, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> so many of them. Everyone rallying to your defense. Or and, you can do it right now. Well, I like the idea of people wondering, like, so when is the sermon on puppies and rainbows? I like uh, yeah. puppies and rainbows. I, those are great. Golden Retriever Sunday is coming up. Yeah, Golden Retriever Sunday. <laughs> Oh, that would be so great. We should think about that. All right. Well, that is not what this past Sunday was. Look at this. We're short on tomfoolery. We're getting right to it. Right to it. So this this weekend was on the the section on lust leading to adultery. Again, and, and preceded by anger and murder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah this, these are like not light, but really important. Yeah. And I don't know if we, I think I kind of pointed this out and I don't know if you've, noticed this before but when you're looking at those six you've heard I you've heard it said but I say this those six statements they are kind of grouped in pairs you know that you have anger and lust which are both these kind of visceral um, emotions often that are that are not necessarily controllable in the first moment but they are things that you either feed and when you feed when they're fed they they lead to just horrible, um, evils in the world, um, or you you kill it, and which is what Jesus ends up saying about lust. Like you know, it's better to cut off your hand and throw it in the fire. Like just it's this kind of extreme killing of this sin rather than feeding it, letting it fester. Um, the next two, which we're going out of order, but the next two in the passage are divorce and oaths, which really goes to like vows and you know, are you looking for loopholes to get out of what you said you will do? And then the retaliation and love your enemies, which is this week, is about like how do you then how do you respond to people who do evil or do wrong to you? And so the, you have these groups. So yeah, anger and lust were very much joined together, which is why they were originally supposed to be in the same sermon. But I decided to take more time with anger, and then by extension, then I took more time 
um, with lust. Yeah, that, that was a wise audible. I remember as I was listening to you preaching on anger, I thought, all right, he's going to have to do lust in like 10 minutes now. How is he going to do that? So I, when you did, when you said that a couple weeks ago, I thought that's really wise. And I think that's you, not you what you told me. You shared a you, lot. Of, you said you were going to give me the no, like don't do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So you told me. I felt like it. It oh, deserves okay. more time. Oh, okay. Maybe you. I mean, who knows what I said, yeah. Jay? Sorry, I interrupted. It's you. all about intent, right? Yeah, it, it is. Well, what I was going to say is, it deserves the time it was given. And I think you didn't share a lot of statistics. No. But the one you did share about that like the porn industry, the revenues being greater than NBA, NFL, and, and Major League Baseball um, combined. So this is not like something that is like on the fringes of our world and is not something that is only affecting a few people, but it is pervasive and not just out there, right? And you made that right. point. So I, I, I think it really needed the time it was given, and I'm glad that as a church we're giving it this time. Yeah, I mean, there are tons of shocking statistics about, specifically about pornography. And I, there were so many that I could choose from. The reason why I picked that one was because I was trying to go at it from the angle of this is all of our problems. Like, even if you aren't, even, you know, if you're 98 years old and you don't, and you're like, well, I'm I'm not actively looking at pornography. I'm not watching any of those things. I don't watch anything. Even in that situation, like we still, um, there's a culture that we're contributing to or participating in or pretending doesn't exist. So that's why I was trying to get at those, like we're either participating in it, we're judging it, um, or we're ignoring it. And all of us fall into those. And all of us, all of us have broken sexuality. You were pointing that out before the, um, before we hit record of like, we're all in this boat together. It's just in varying degrees of how it plays out. And what the Pharisees were doing was they wanted to draw lines about how it played out. So, so do, do not murder, do not commit adultery. They wanted to draw lines out there. And if you were on this side of the line, you're good. Even if you were contributing to all kinds of things. The, the interesting thing about that, you think about anger and murder, a person could see themselves as righteous if they didn't commit murder, but they incited someone else to do it. Yeah. They're Horrible. like, well, but I didn't do it. That person's evil because they committed murder. I didn't commit murder. Um, and and same way with lust or adultery. Like you could say, well, I didn't commit adultery. A person could say that. Um, but did, did you incite it in other people? Did you contribute to a culture that was like, were you giving yourself over to lust and you just drew a line? That's not better. Jesus no. is saying, like, it's not, you're still guilty. Um, and so I so I was trying to get it, one of the reason I went to that revenue was if you go to things like, you know, 70-some percent or whatever it is of people actively, members of church, you know, actively involved in the church are struggling with pornography. I mean, these are, like, wild statistics of how widespread it is. It can still get into a, well, but I'm not doing that thing, so I'm not, I'm, I'm immune to that. Or it could it could grow self-righteousness if you're one of the 25% or whatever that aren't doing that. There's all kinds of traps in that. I thought big picture statistic saying how, how like big of a problem this actually is, how widespread it is in a culture, how normal it is in our culture, um, how defended it is in the culture and, and why it's just such a big, um, why it's such a big monster 
and that we all participate then in that because we're in the culture. So, yeah, to me, it's a, it's a massive opportunity because both anger and lust are to me, some of the easier ones to see that, that all of this ends up having to come out of the heart. So you can imagine like externally looking calm or externally not acting out sexually in some way, but in your heart being full of anger or being full of lust. And to me, it, it just hel- it's helpful in that sense that, that to follow Jesus is to actually gain freedom and wholeness at the heart level that then obviously then works its way out into our bodies and then the way we relate to other people. But I think until we get there in our discipleship to Jesus and, and realize like even, even to my, to the level of my desires, even those um, are submitted to him and transformed by him. Um, we're just not quite, we're not getting it yet. Mm-hmm. And to me, you could either respond to that with like hopelessness, like, Oh my, there's no way my heart is going to be free of the kind of anger we talked about or the kind of lust we just talked about. Or we can respond with faith and say, yeah, I've got a long way to go, but I know that his power is made perfect in my weakness and his power, just like it's good and it's, it's large enough and great enough to save me. It's large and good enough and, and enough to purify me and renew me in these areas all the way down to the root of my heart. And what's going on there? So I, I think sometimes it can be a discouraging thing to hear about and to think yeah. about because it's like, well, man, this is like, this is hard, right? It really does hit you at your core. But the the other side of that coin, I guess, is it's also just a really good example of what Jesus can do in our heart by his spirit as he renews us. So that right there, I mean, part of the reason why, and I, I tried to mention this or try to point this out, that Jesus makes draws these parallels as he's revealing the darkness and how dark anger and lust are. And you imagine how often we justify and defend and minimize our, our sin. And, and I don't remember who it was. Um, some theologian talked about, you know, if you have a little sin, then you have a small, like if you have small sin, you have a small gospel. Mm -hmm. If you have big sin, big gospel. Um, and we've talked about that before that, what actually happens when you minimize the darkness and you say, oh, it's not, that's not so dark, um, then you're actually also minimizing the cross and you're minimizing the need for forgiveness. Because if my offense isn't really that big of a deal, then Jesus didn't really need to die for me. Like I just needed a little boost, like a couple pointers, you know, or, or, um, or you can put God in the position of, man, God, you're making a big deal out of, of nothing here. And so nothing makes sense. Hell doesn't make sense. Salvation doesn't make sense. Substitutionary atonement doesn't make sense. The re- like none of that makes sense if our offenses are small and understandable and justifiable. But And so what the enemy, you know, you, we think of how the enemy uses the tools of guilt and shame, which is true, but he also uses, you know, the tools of kind of false bravado and false comfort, you know, where you say, where you minimize, like, well, this isn't this isn't that big of a deal. Well, if it's not that big of a deal, then you don't really need Jesus for this. And and so he actually, in that way, steers you away from the hope that's there. And so what we always want to do is just what Jesus is constantly doing is tearing away all of the excuses, all of the, and just right down to the root level 
and then meeting us there at that root level, which, you know, is a lot like the, the parallel has often been drawn about a, a doctor who doesn't just treat surface symptoms, but says, well, I kind of, I want to get to the root of this. And yeah, it's scary. It's scary to find a, a worse diagnosis than you thought was the case. But that's also where that's the only hope you have for healing. Because if you ignored the root cause of all this, well, then you never, you won't ever find healing. And and that's what we're after. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that even in exposing that darkness, if we can do that and help and and create a culture where we say this is our issue and realize how we all contribute. I didn't get to go too much into depth about how we contribute. I mean, I did a little bit, but like I, I tried with the judgment thing to say, look, if if you are judgmental towards people who are gripped by these sins, then you're you're contributing to a culture that tells them it's not okay to acknowledge it. It's not okay to admit it. People will, um, they will reject you. They will, they will be disgusted by you. So, so don't even try. If you get rid of that judgment, and and we, and we speak with you know, with grace and with mercy, and um, then that creates an environment of openness where people feel safe enough to say, okay, hey, I'm I'm struggling with this, or I'm being tempted by this. Um, I mean. I'm sure you've had the situation, but so many times where I've counseled couples that have come through adultery, in hindsight, they always look back and say, why didn't I, why didn't I talk to somebody there? Like, there is always a point where they can look back and say, I, but they minimized, they minimized the temptation, they minimized how they were feeling, they minimized, you know, was this really a big deal that they were interacting with this person in this way? Like, they minimize all of those things, convincing themselves it's not a big deal, so therefore I don't need any help. And then before you know it, something has happened that, you know, is really damaging. Yeah, that's interesting to think of, like you mentioned, like the judgmentalism being a, you know, the which results, I think, in fear and hiding, right? Yeah. And, and I think another one, you know, that came to my mind, and I, we were talking before we hit record, too, about it, but the, the lie that I'm the only one. You know, like th- this issue, you know, whether it's in lust or in anger or just think of any other heart thing that we deal with that we're like, I don't want that in my heart. Jealousy, for example. Um, whenever we think I'm the only one who deals with it or I'm the only one who deals with it in this way or to this degree or with this severity, whatever, um, we are buying into a lie from hell. And it's just not real. Like none of these things are we alone in it doesn't mean right. that there's always going to be someone with the exact same, no. but we aren't alone in the sense that we're broken. We are, uh, one, you know, one author I love, he says, we're recovering sinners, meaning we got yeah. a lot of growth that all of us need. And I think that's going to be a key thing for us as a church to keep leaning into, you know, that none of us are alone in this. And even if that particular area, you know, if our if our life is made up of, when, it, when we think about sin, it's we, we each have a particular weakness and wickedness that manifests itself. That, that's part of our brokenness. And it's not the same for everyone, right? Some people are drawn to the bottle. Some people are drawn to money in a way that others aren't. Some people are drawn to sex. Right. But the, the thing is that we all have something or some things that, that do that, that are idols and sirens that are trying to pull us away from our Savior. So we're never in this alone. Um, I just want to make sure that 
everyone hearing this right now even hears that. No matter what the thing is, the besetting sin for you, you're not in it alone. And to, to believe you're in it alone, that isolation, I think, really prevents us from seeking help and from talking with people about it in a way that's so helpful and that can be so healing. Right. And and understanding that, I mean, yeah, there, there are going to be situations that people are in that, like you said, not everybody will have experienced the same situation. And it, it may be awful, and you may wish that was never the case, but part of what Jesus is saying when cut off your hand and throw it away, like, you know, obviously we're not literally talking about cutting off your hand, but he's saying just with such vigor, like attack that and, and don't let it live. You know, and I tried to point that out about what are you worried about? You know, sacrificing your reputation. Like it's better to get rid of that. And I have, um, you know, you see this a lot in, um, like in ministry when people have, you know, what we consider moral failures and lose their ministry most of the people that I've talked to in that situation, getting caught was like the most freeing thing for them because they finally could stop hiding. Like they, it, it's better. Their lives are better now, even though they lost all the things they were afraid of losing, but they're free. They've been brought out into the light and they're free. Now, would you rather be able to go back in time and not be damaged by all those things? Yes. But that that is like, getting a cancer diagnosis and you'd say, well, yes, I wish, I wish I didn't have cancer, but if you do have cancer, then hiding from it isn't the answer. Like you need to, if you want to find healing, it has to be exposed and brought out. And so I think, um, you know, realizing you're not alone, realizing that we want to cultivate a culture that says we want to bring things out in the light because we want to see God work and set people free. And ultimately that's, that's what he does. Um, so I think I'm hopeful that that I, I think it did come across. You know, we were talking about how, yeah, we received a lot of positive feedback and that demonstrates how people aren't alone. It also is really encouraging to me because people um, like, for example, I mentioned, you know, how do we respond to like the um, gentleman's club, which is like the most ironic name yeah, ever. Misnomer. Yeah. <laughs> you just like, so it's just, but like, do you make jokes about that? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you stand in judgment? Do you just like pretend it doesn't exist? But if we can realize that, you know, we all have a responsibility in our community to address these cultural sins so that we can be a place of healing and we can see. Um, so I was encouraged that when I, that I, I didn't get negative feedback of people saying like, well, you know, are you saying it's my fault that that place exists? Like that's obviously not, you know, I'm not saying that you are personally responsible for that happening, but I'm saying that if we want to be a part of God's redemptive story and his redemptive work in our communities, then we should want to be a part of all of that. Like we should want to know how do I positively contribute to the the calling out of darkness of, of these sins and, and exposing the heart level sins. And that's the thing. So then Jesus is going to the heart. So if you want to address these things, you have to go to the heart, which you had, you know, um, you've talked about many times that like behavior modification doesn't work. You know, like you could just make clubs like that illegal and that, that will not address the cultural sin in, mm -hmm. in our world. I mean, prohibition is obviously one of the great examples of that. It, it, just making something illegal or stopping yourself from doing that thing doesn't mean you've eradicated that in your heart. 
And I don't know if that, like, how do you, like, let me ask you that. Um, practically speaking, if someone's dealing with that um, or they're walking with someone who is struggling with it, because both of those, like, I hope both of those things happen. It would be great, like, people confess these sins of, of lust and how it's gripped them and enslaved them, but also that we are walking with people closely enough that even if that is not your particular sin issue, that you're walking with someone who it is that you're trying to help. How do you, how do you deal with that when you have like these actions that you're trying to stop, but knowing that it's not actually about behavior modification? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, Every situation is unique, right? So part, just I want to preface my answer with that because everyone will be unique. Which, by the way, that is true. And I, right now I'm thinking about, like, people who are listening to this may have, they may be dealing, like, let's just specifically think about pornography and, and, and that because it's so rampant in our culture. I was just looking up the stats on Covenant Eyes and, like, they're just so horrifying that I can't even, like, how many people. Um, and so let's just say this, that if you are interacting with people, somebody that you care about is struggling with this. Yes. That is a truth. Like that statistically somebody you care about. So it may be, so we have people who may be listening who are struggling with it themselves. We may have people who are, who have a friend who's struggling with it. They may have a child, like a teenager or a child who is struggling with it, um, or a grandchild. So how, now, now, with that, I framed it like that for people who are listening. Like, so help them, Jeff. Well, oh my. Well, Jay, Jay and I, by the way, we're, we're going to do our best here on this recording. Right. But this is like such a one way. I mean, it's two of us, but we're mm-hmm. kind of two monologues here. But, but we really do like if you're hearing it and you want help, either you're, you're in either one of those situations. You're the one who feels like I am stuck in this. I can't get out of it. Help me. Or you're the one walking with someone in that. Either, either case. Um, send us an email and we'd love to sit down and pray and, and work on a specific plan for you. Yes. But I would say first and foremost, no matter where you are in that, uh, it needs to start. The first thing that needs to happen is honest confession before Jesus, before God. Um, so using something like first John one, nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness like reading that and then confessing in detail to God, everything, getting it all out. And as you confess and you think of more things, you just get it out to him and you let him, you let him have it. He wants to take the sin. And I would, I would couple that with Psalm 51 and Psalm 51 is um, David after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba and it is him crying out for mercy and confessing his sin. It is amazing that we have it recorded because it so fits, not just lust, every sin, but I would say specifically anything to do with sexual sin. Um, pray that. Pray it out loud to God. So that that's like bedrock. And and you might need to do that more than once, you know, because you'll think of things that just haven't been confessed. The reason that's so important, by the way, um, isn't because it's magic, but because this is all relational with God. And right. so you are you are just telling him what is he already knows to be true, but that's a really important part of it. So that right there, you're telling him what he already knows. Yep. Like that, in all confession of sin, that has always been freeing to me to realize that even if this is in the dark from other human beings, it is not in, in God's eyes, and it does not change his posture towards me at all. 
And so realizing that can help with the confession of knowing you're not, it's not the same thing as sitting down with someone that doesn't know you've offended them and you're going to confess to them. You're confessing to someone who already knows and has demonstrated his love for you on the cross. Mm-hmm. So so basically you're taking what is in darkness and bringing it out into the light. Yeah. And then I would say that then with a trusted other human being as well at some point um, is going to be really crucial. We really weren't made to walk into healing and wholeness in this area by ourselves. And, um, and that's where we'd love to help you and help you figure out who is that in your life. Obviously we want to be as pastors, mm-hmm. but then there's going to need to be other people who are close to you in your daily life who know as well, who you've talked with. So that's kind of getting at the heart stuff. But I think you had asked more of like action and behavior and where do you start? And, you know, while this is a heart thing, often the first actions we take are very outward um, because some of this it ends up being habit that has been formed over a long period of time. And the habit is actually not just in our heart, but in our bodies. So there's a bit of a high, there's an addiction going on as well to the, to the rush of it all, whether it's the sneaking, it's the whatever, um, that needs to change. So I think habits actually are very um, infrequently stopped. They are often, most often replaced with something else. So um, if you know, like you mentioned the, the, the club, you know, um, if it's a strip club, well, that one is a little more obvious because it's, it's a very specific location. Unfortunately for most of us, it probably isn't a location. It's probably like in our pocket, right? right. With our phone or something else and, um, or with a certain person. And uh, that's where I think there needs to be some wise and practical, very specific thinking about what are some habits that are going to need to be replaced with other habits. Right. And, and immediately stopping the input, you know, stopping the dark input and the stream um, and replacing it with something else. And that's going to be something like none of this very infrequently in my years of ministry or in my own heart has this been something that overnight um, it's just over and done. This is actually a road that's walked with other people um, through healing. It doesn't mean that, that you have to keep sinning and sinning and sinning, but it's, I'm just saying that it's usually not, um, Lord, take this away. And now suddenly my heart has no desire for it because right. that's typically not how God works in this. I just want to say that up front because yeah. some people really do wish that. And I, I do wish that sometimes too, as we help people, but usually it's a process and a road that's walked in trust and in closer intimacy with Jesus than, than you could have imagined. But the key thing I think to keep before us is this is actually possible. Like it's yes. real. Like you do not have to live the rest of your life being strangled and chained by this stuff. It really is possible to walk in freedom and wholeness and like you were describing, um, when, when you're living a life that's like a double life, where you're, the parts of your life are sort of disintegrated, they're separate, you're meant to be li- living life as a whole, integrated whole, where what comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart, yeah. and the way you act is the same in every spot. It takes a lot less energy, actually, to live a whole life. It takes a ton of energy to live a disintegrated life. And I think it's much better to stop the disintegration, even though it's going to be painful if you've never done it before, to confess it and to start moving forward. It's just so much. I just have to believe me if if you haven't experienced it. It's way better. So I feel like that was, that was worth the price of admission right there. I mean, all this has been, this is super helpful. And if you guys don't know, I mean, Jeff was in campus ministry for 
years. And so yeah. this is this this is something that um, I really appreciate your expertise on. You know how often you've walked with people through this, and I I look at that and and what you just said there about like just it's so man every time we're enslaved by sin like one of the questions that i've asked people before is aren't you aren't you tired yes like and in that double life is exhausting and and so even if you so if you know someone who is dealing with this then that could be something that's where some compassion like compassion comes from is like looking at them saying man isn't this exhausting to live trying to live these two different lives and it doesn't have to just be with lust and pornography like there's a lot of people who try to have like this is who I am when I'm in this circle this is who I am over here this is who I am and it's exhausting um so just to kind of go back so like the recap there of so far and I don't want to cut you off I want to I want to hear more because um, I think this is super helpful of starting with confession to God. So if you do, like if somebody says to you, Hey, I am struggling with this, like start, start with confession. And again, it doesn't have to be, I, I didn't address this fully in the sermon, but it doesn't have to be pornography, like fantasy, lust, any kind of attraction that you know, this is not, this is not godly. This is not um, appropriate. Um, confession, quick and it, quick and holistic confession is like the first, always the first line of defense like don't hide it don't minimize it don't justify it don't defend it just get it all out there um to god first and Mm -hmm. foremost and then find someone trustworthy and this is where i hope we can help the most with somebody is that uh, we can help you like we will walk with you and we can help you connect with other very trustworthy people i get why people are afraid to come out into the light because I, you know, I mentioned I think on Sunday, but if somebody just stood up on Sunday and confessed an addiction to pornography, I can't guarantee that every person in that room would respond in a Christ-like way. That's what the enemy feeds into. So the fact that there would be some people who would not respond in a Christ-like way, the enemy will capitalize that and make you feel like everyone will respond in that way. That's not true. And so you start with the people that that make sense. You don't have to. It's, you don't necessarily have to confess to everyone. Like you don't go to the grocery store and say, "Hey, um, confessing to God," and then finding you know. And, and and I would always recommend start with pastors of your church who are who are committed to caring for your soul, and and let us help you find um, people that you that you can confess to and have that open you know, relationship with. And then, so once you confess to God and you find trusted people you can confess to that can help with accountability and you know will pray for you and understand the heart level issues of these, um, then like you said, replacing, uh, you know, replacing things because you're right. You don't, no one has ever succeeded just stopping doing Mm-mm. something. Like no. you have to pursue something better. We're designed to pursue things. So stopping a pursuit of sin does not, it's, you know, like, um, you know how I love cats now. I didn't used to, but cats are awesome because they have this hunting instinct. Well, getting a cat to stop being a hunter doesn't work. Like the, if you want a cat to be healthy, for example, emotionally healthy, who knew we were going to break into emotionally healthy cats? <laughs> um, we cover everything here. This is like an all, but 
if you want a cat to be emotionally healthy, you give you have to give them an outlet to hunt. And so that's why you have toys, like they have cat toys and feathers or whatever, because you're meant, they're designed to do that. Well, humans are designed to pursue pleasure, to pursue something, to pursue life. We're wired to do that. And so the answer so often, unfortunately, with cultural sin is stop pursuing this pleasure. Okay, but if you don't pursue what we're designed then to actually pursue, which is Christ, we're designed to pursue pleasure in God, then you're you're setting yourself up for failure because you're trying to deny your wiring of the pursuit of pleasure. And what you have to do is replace that and say, okay, I'm pursuing it over here. The problem is what I'm pursuing, and that's going to leave me empty. I want to pursue this better thing. And and sometimes, um, like, so you're talking about going to a club, like, okay, well, maybe it means that when you start to drive to that place that you drive to a different place. You drive to the church parking lot. You drive to your friend's house. You drive to, you know, McDonald's <laughs> and then open yourself up to other issues. But no, I mean, you, you replace it and say like, I'm going to do this or you grab your phone and you're going to, um, you know, maybe you're replacing wherever that is on your phone, replacing it with your Bible app, you know, so that physically in that spot is like, um, it doesn't matter where it is on your phone. Like you can swipe and like your muscle memory will go to wherever it was. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you're replacing that, you know, so, so, okay. So confession replacement, what else, what else? Yeah. You I mean, and you're in that way, you're just making no provision for sin, right? right. You're, so if you've got a folder full of stuff, you delete the thing and you empty the recycle bin. Like, you know, I know that that might sound really obvious, but it's not when you're in the middle of it. No. You got to just make no provision. That, that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, gouge out your eyes or cut off your hand. Obviously, you could do both those things and still lust. Right. Right. That, that, that doesn't cure it. doesn't it. fix it. Nope. No. He's just saying, this is how seriously we take it. We don't mess around. Like, yeah. it is that dangerous to your soul and to your life and to the people around you. Um, so you're just making no provision. Um and then, and then I would say you start being really observant. And this is what I would want to do one-on-one with a person or in a triad. But what are the situations in which you are most, you feel most prone? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it may, for a lot of people, it's boredom, it's stress, it's tiredness, it's loneliness, things like that. And then in those moments, we make a plan. What happens the next time that happens? What's the alternative to seeking relief through porn or through some other you know, destructive means, right. there's actually ways that we can find life that is truly life-giving. So that's the thing with all of this. We've been duped. Right. We've been duped into thinking this is going to be good for me. Um, and, and usually, if you're listening to this, you're probably at the point where you think, I already know it's wrong. That's right. not the problem. I just don't know how to stop it. And, and that's where there's a process. So we're just kind of getting at high level here. Um, but I think really starting to observe, like, what is the pattern of behavior because for mo- for all of us, um, this kind of sin, when we actually act out, uh, there's quite a few steps that go into it. It's not just one action. It's, it's a bunch of decisions that we make to do it. And um, any one of those decisions can be interrupted and changed to be something life-giving. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're kind of, we're going to angle towards that. And it might sound right now, like Jay and I were saying earlier, this is the heart, but now you're talking about behavior. And that's because, um, it is the heart, but it's because our body and our soul, they're actually, they're like 
together in this. Right. You don't separate them out. Right. Um, but ultimately, what what's going to happen over time is is the heart will be changed because part of this is going to be looking at what is it we're really seeking here, because no one is seeking porn. They are not. They're seeking something else. Right. Um, and that answer does not come quickly. Um, and sometimes we don't know the full answer. But getting at what is it that what is it we're doing with this to achieve an end that has nothing to do with sexuality at all. Um, or, or maybe it's the bottle for you or, um, like Jay mentioned, like it could be fantasy or novels that, you know, are just not helpful. See, we can use things that are not pornography pornographically. Right. And that is the key. So I would just stop even, um, if you're debating within yourself, is this good or not? Well, how are you using it and what's the end? And what is it bringing up in your heart? Like, mm-hmm. what do you what do you find yourself being pulled towards? I mean, that's always a thing. I didn't address like TV shows and movies and yep. everything. And for so long in the church, we've tried to come up with like hardline rules of like, well, don't watch something that's rated this or that. You know, or any of these different things. But the issue most of the time, there are things that are just unredeemable. Like there are things, but it's so many things. It is like, what is this producing in my heart? What am I? am I drawn to that thing that I know is dark about, you know, whatever this is, or, um, or is this something that like, I'm, I'm pursuing what is good in, in this. And those are hard questions to ask. Like some things are really clear. Like pornography is really clear. Like nobody, there's no healthy way to use that at all. And, um, but there are other things that are less, um, that they're, that they're, more vague, right? Like they're, they're just not the same for every person. And so I think part of, part of this that I hope would come out of this is maybe you're a person that doesn't look at what would be classified as pornography, but you, you always want to see the a movie with a particular actress or actor in it because like, you're just, you're drawn to that. Well, for you, it may be sin. Whereas for somebody else, that may not be any issue at all. But for you, you you should avoid that and you should pursue something else in that and, and confess that. Again, that starts with confession. Like, don't convince yourself, ah, that's no big deal. Like, uh, it, those kinds of sins, small sins turn into big, big things. You know, just that's the kingdom of economy. Remember, like small, small faith turns into big, big things. Um, but small sin when fed and nurtured um, causes great destruction. I love that word nurture there. So I guess the last thing I would, I would say is just really going to be an important focus. You know, again, we're talking high level here, but so you're, you're setting up and making no provision for sin. And then you're, you're doing everything that you know to do to nurture your ongoing connection and friendship with Jesus, Mm. you know, and for each one of us, that's going to obviously include prayer a life of prayer. It's going to include the word of God intake. It's going to include worship. It's going to include being with other people who are doing that. Taking communion on Sunday could be a big part of that. Whatever it is, there needs to be a plan and an intention and then a will to carry it out, um, nurturing that connection with Jesus in a way that brings life and vitality and intimacy with him. Because that's ultimately, he's the one who brings the healing and the transformation about in us. We have a really important role to play in that. It's not just a, he zaps us, um, but it is his work. So 
it's an arranging of your life around those things that will really bring life to you. And, and I would say to those around you, cause that's the thing with, with anger, with lust, with jealousy, all the, all these heart sins, it's never just stealing life from us as we do it. It is stealing life and potential from all of the people around us. So our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers are affected by it, even if they never see it. Right. They are because we are becoming a different person as we engage in it. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's a motivating factor. I want the people around me to experience the wholeness of Jesus in me and not darkness. And I want my kids to experience that. And, um, there, there's a lot more at stake than just our own like conscience, I guess I would say. Uh, there's a whole life at stake. Well, right, because and that you know, and I pointed that out on Sunday of how dehumanizing it is. And when when you give yourself over, like to lust, for example, or anger, both of those things are dehumanizing to other people. I can't love a person that I'm dehumanizing. I can't love a person that I'm treating as an object. Even if like, and so that we, we talked a little bit off, off air about purity culture and how that was the attempted response, um, to so much of this, but that doesn't fix anything because you go from seeing, for example, if you lust after a woman, you, you go from seeing them as an object, objectifying them as something that can gratify me to then seeing them as an object that I need to avoid. And both of those things you know, like, so I don't, I don't want to sin against them. I don't want to be trapped in that sin. So now, now you're an object to be avoided. And either way, you're objectifying women in that case. So what happens is if, if I'm at work and I'm enslaved to this kind of sin and I see everybody as like a trap, then I'm not going to see my sister in Christ who's struggling. I'm not going to be able to pray for her. I'm not going to be able to comfort her. I'm not going to be able to, um, minister to her in any way because I have objectified, I've either objectified her in lust or I've objectified her in that somebody I just need to ignore completely and freedom in this, like, and I love that you pointed this out at the beginning and, and I would, I would just want to kind of end at least for me on this is like, there is victory in Jesus. The cross is much bigger than all of these sins. There is forgiveness that is available. There is life that's available. There's restoration and reconciliation and all of these things. Um, there's a, a renewed abiding in Christ. Um, there's healthy relationships with other human beings where you can now love them and pray for them and care for them in a way that God has atten- intended. And that's just so much more beautiful and so much more life-giving and, and like you said, living that integrated life, that holistic life that you're the same person at work as you are, you know, at church as you are at home. Um, like it's just incredibly freeing. And I hope anybody that's listening to this that is um, would say, man, I struggle with this. I struggle with my thought life. I struggle with I've, I've struggled with I've noticed, you know, some people could be in the situation where they're maybe realizing, yeah, I haven't looked you know, I haven't looked at pornography in, you know, 20 years, but I haven't had a single healthy friendship with the opposite sex in that time. Like I realize now I've just avoided it. Like a, like an alcoholic who just has never been around alcohol at all in the last 20 years. Um, like to say, man, I, I don't know if I actually have victory here. I don't know if I have like, um, full healing, um, 
And now alcohol is something where, okay, so what? So you avoid all alcohol everywhere. You're not going to hurt alcohol's feelings. That doesn't damage anything like you don't. But other human beings, when you aren't able to love and care for other human beings, that's dehumanizing. And and we want, God has a much bigger plan for that. And um, so we just want to, we want to help people find that. And, and like you said, the step starting with confession um, and then stepping out in faith and asking for help from somebody. And again, I want to remind people that what we just gave, what Jeff just gave so helpful every situation is so different. And so there is no how to manual of like, we'll do this thing and then this thing and this thing, and then you're, you're free. Um, it's, they're also different. And, and so that's why human interaction is so important to, to have people help you as you kind of, as you navigate this. And for us to be a church that is not surprised by that, that lets that stuff come out into the light so that we can, um, so that we can see Jesus bring healing, you know, through his body here. Amen to that. Yeah. I think the fruit of that is tons of joy. It's so much it's, joy. It, to me, I hope that we can look back and see this is a, this is a turning point. Yeah. The, we know this is a thing. Which we, since we know it's a thing, I guess this, I had actually jotted this down, but I want to encourage people don't be afraid to have honest conversations. So moms, dads, have honest conversations with your kids, not in a way that you're trying to trap them or get them to admit something. Don't respond in anger and don't, but in a way that lets them know that you're for them and you want to help them, um, that you're trying to guard their heart and you want them to experience all that God has for them in abundant life. And so you're for them, but, but make it, like, I'll tell you this, this might get a little preachy, but the world has no problem talking about these things. It's often people in the church that feel the weirdest about talking about these things. And so we want to be the ones that say, no, this is, this is normal. Like, this is something. Now, obviously, I'm not going around on a Sunday morning and just like with, as I, you know, greet someone, good morning, how are you doing? Did you look at any porn this weekend? Like, that's obviously not what I'm talking about, but if you're listening to this, you probably have close friendships and relationships. And I would just ask, like, what would it look like to normalize those kinds of conversations a little bit? And it may be, maybe you're a grandparent and you have teenage, you have teenage grandchildren and you're worried about them. And you're wondering if this, like, maybe it's a conversation that you have, but maybe you start with their parents and say, Hey, have you like, start with them. Have you had this conversation? And then maybe maybe you're gonna maybe their parent says I haven't and I don't know how to and then you can offer to help you can offer to um, be a resource for that if you have a, a good friend that you realize like this is a person that I trust and a person that we've confessed in like maybe be a little more direct and just say hey I just want to know if this is an issue um, can help people kind of come out into the light a little bit by just normalizing those questions um, because if we can't if we can't talk about that in the church then we're in trouble right like if we can't be honest about that in certain settings in the church um, then then we're in trouble and if we leave it if we just give it over to the world to deal with then 
we really have, I mean, we have no one to blame. That goes back to the holistic responsibility for us as a, as a church to say, we need to take responsibility for our part because we have no one to blame but ourselves when we just give that responsibility over to the world and, um, and let them have those conversations. So, so there you go. Big, big podcast, lots of, lots of stuff. Um, if you, if this stirs something in you and you're just saying, man, I really, I need to talk to somebody, please, please, please reach out. You can email us at connect at faithpeshtigo.com. You can, or email us directly, like through our website, you can click on our names or whatever, and, and specifically send an email to one of us. And that will only go, um, to the person you designated to go to talk to us on a Sunday, you know, whatever the, the case is, um, but we, we want to walk with you. We want you to experience life. And so hopefully this has been helpful. Um, thank you for listening. Now it's we're up to six. Reaching billions, but six listening. Um, <laughs> and so that's pretty exciting. Uh, I'm keeping a tally. People are texting me now. And so I'm like, all right, we're up to six. Um, so we appreciate your time. Until next time, grace and peace. Thank you.